This is it, eh? This awesome. is it. This is the first episode. I can't believe it's finally coming true. Our dreams. Welcome to the ID Podcast, episode <laughs> number one. This episode is all about lifestyle medicine, and we could not be more excited to get started. I'm Grinder, and I'm here with Nelman. Hey, Grinder. Yeah, man. Can you believe it? I don't know how many months it's been, but I guess we're finally launching. How do you feel? I feel great. I honestly could not be more excited to to just have this podcast out there and have someone listen to it. Um, hopefully, someone other than my mom will listen to it as well. But uh, as of now, we have a guaranteed audience of at least one. Um, and I think it's going to grow exponentially from there. You have a lot more faith in your mom than I do. I feel like she just kind of skimmed through and be like, oh, it was nice, dear. But, but uh, <laughs> hopefully that's not the case. What have you been up to lately? I feel like we've been talking a while. No, it's definitely been a while. And I mean, I guess this entire month has felt longer than, than it actually has been. But um, last night, I actually watched the Toronto Raptors take on the Golden State Warriors in game one of the NBA Finals. No deja vu associated with that whatsoever at all. Dude, that's so, like, I'm so sports deprived. I feel like I should get on the, uh, just pretend to be surprised as I watch it. I feel like it's still good. I feel, like, it still feels good to watch them win, I'm sure, right? It's just as exciting, honestly. And just seeing them on the final stage, it still feels like such a foreign thing. I mean, growing up as a Toronto sports fan for all of the major league sports, it's not something that I can really relate to. It doesn't happen often. No. Oh, it really doesn't. And then I feel, did you see the tweet? Um, it was like uh, the year after a Toronto sports team wins a major championship, like something happens to the respective season. I don't know. I don't want to like misquote, but it's like, it's pretty funny. Like NHL, MLB, and now the NBA. Yeah, usually it's a lockout that's completely man-made, but this time it's kind of out of everyone's control, I think. Well, Numan, as much as me and you love Toronto sports and the Raptors in particular, I don't want to bore everyone else who's not into Toronto sports. So I'm just going to cut our conversation there and uh, hopefully we perform just as well in game two as we did in game one. And I'm just going to leave it there. Sounds good, Grinder. It'd be a, let's see. I'm fingers crossed for a game two performance. Uh, yeah, I think we should also bring our, our third co-host in, Mike. Mike, if you uh, want to jump in here, how's uh, <laughs> MF4 treating you? MF4 is going good. Um, musculoskeletal unit is our current, um, subunit for our medical foundation, which is how McMaster arranges our curriculum into different blocks. Um, I've been finding it okay. I know it's not the most popular with everyone, uh, but it's kind of interesting to learn about, uh, all the details, I guess, of the human body without an anatomy background myself. How, how about, how about you guys? How are you finding it? Um, yeah, I, uh, lack of anatomy background really, uh, speaks to me as well, but, I don't know. I'm finding, I won't lie, it's pretty tough. Uh, not a huge fan of this part of the of medicine, but you know what? I'm a very uh, malleable person to change, so hopefully I'll change over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think any of the big transitions to new medical foundations always start off a little bit rough. I know I always find myself being a little bit intimidated by the content at first, um, just because it's a completely new system. And like you said, we don't have too much emphasis put on anatomy and other parts of our curriculum at Mac. So it, it seems all the more foreign because of that, I think. But I'm sure that as, as long as we continue learning and, and as the MF kind of progresses, it'll feel more and more comfortable. And, and by the end of it, we'll all be certified MSK pros. Right. And I think it's also interesting, our current tutorial groups, tutorial groups is kind of how McMaster arranges our learning through like problem-based learning. But what's interesting here is that the, the groups we're with, we're only going to be, be meeting them virtually and we won't ever have any physical sessions. 
Yeah, it's really odd to only ever hear someone's voice online. Um, I know that like there's so many things that are lost, you know, all the nonverbal cues, all the body language, all the things that make human interaction, the complex and amazing thing that it is, are kind of lost online. Like you're really only forced to he- hear what someone has to say through their voice and through the inflection in their voice and kind of what they type to you. So it's definitely not the same as being in a classroom, but, you know, we got to make do with what you got. And I think our team is doing a pretty good job of it so far. Yeah, but honestly, that being said, it's actually surprising to me how much of it kind of stays with you. You know, like we've been in school for so many months and you kind of sit down, you have the same sort of structure for a tutorial. Everyone kind of participates a little bit, brings something different to the table. And at the end of the day, I think as long as you walk away, having learned a little bit more than you did at the start of it, I, I take that as a win personally. But yeah, for sure, it's it's not a it's not a perfect situation, but I think that I really commend like our classmates and everyone everyone going through this transition to like online learning and social distancing. I think it's really it, it's really difficult, but I think everyone's doing their part and I think everyone's doing a really great job. Yeah, and there's definitely been some silver linings I think to this whole thing. Um, like for me personally, I know that my weeks have all started to kind of meld into each other, but having a consistent kind of meeting schedule where I know what to expect and I get to see the same faces every single week kind of allows me to get that schedule back it makes me feel like i'm actually back at school and makes me feel like i have a productive schedule that i need to follow it makes me feel better about myself it also just gives my days more structure and i really appreciate that as someone who's a little bit of a type a personality maybe i don't know what do you guys think yeah a little bit type a i think we maybe all are a little bit but yeah so it's been great for just the structure alone and seeing you guys as well every week and just recording these podcasts it's been it's been awesome to hear your voices guys i'm not gonna lie to you so with that being said, let's talk a little bit about our first episode. So our first episode uh, was recorded with Noam and I, and we talked with Dr. Amanda Maroney on lifestyle medicine. Initially, Noam was the one who actually came to me and she said, Mike, there's a great guest I want to feature on our show, um, lifestyle medicine. And I thought, wow, this is a very interesting topic since in our curriculum, um, we cover through a lot of management of you know difficult cases and you know challenging medical situations that and a lot of diseases that have kind of progressed to like an end state and there's not a lot of focus on preventative medicine and lifestyle interventions and so this is a really interesting topic for me and doing the interview was um a really good learning experience actually what did you um what did you think rinder when you listened to the episode yeah i think you nailed a lot of the things that i was thinking and that uh, kind of before i started my medical education at mac i always felt like undergrad medical education was lacking a little bit more of that piece of preventative medicine and understanding how can we set ourselves up for long-term and healthy and happy lives in a way that we don't need to deal with disease in their later states, right? Um, a lot of the stuff that we learn in class, while well, it's super useful and definitely a lot of people gain a lot in terms of their health outcomes by it. Um, it, it is ultimately focused on catching disease earlier and treating disease as it advances rather than preventing it from the start. So having the opportunity to kind of add this as another piece into my medical curriculum has been a huge pleasure. And it's been something that I'm really positively surprised by. And I think that I hope that a lot of medical students have the opportunity to add that into their education as well. Um, I'm not sure how the other medical schools handle it, but I've been pretty happy, generally speaking, about how Mac does that. So thank you to Mac. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think like at the end of the day, we're just a shift towards a more proactive rather than a reactive approach to medicine. It's kind of like how I uh, frame lifestyle medicine myself. I thought uh, Dr. Maroney did an excellent job outlining uh, concrete measures that people can take, like uh, different cooking, plant-based 
diets, etc. Because I think uh, I, I laugh sometimes when we hear about all these diseases and it's like first line treatment is lifestyle modifications and then those two words and nothing followed up by that. So I think just actually understanding what lifestyle modifications are, what people can do. And I don't know, I was truly fascinated by her, her personal stories, her evidence-based stories about different ways that people can change up their life and manage all these chronic conditions and just overall improve and live happy, healthier lives. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you, Naman. I think it's really interesting how a lot of these concepts are familiar maybe to members of the general public, everyone listening out there. Um, but to hear about the evidence behind it and to hear from Dr. Maroney about how she incorporates different strategies like group therapy or group grocery trips to the grocery store, little spoiler alert, um, was really fascinating for me to hear. And it might be useful for us as future medical students for different strategies we might want to incorporate into our own future practices. Yeah, and on that note, I don't want to give up too much from the episode before they get a chance to listen. Uh, so maybe I'll just leave you with one of my favorite quotes, and I want you to listen out for it. Um, it is as follows. Wisdom is foresight. I thought that was really powerful, and I thought the over overall conversation was really powerful. So I hope that you guys all take away a little something from this next episode. Um, but we're going to cut it back to Noam and Mike in the studio. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Infectious Dialogue, a radio show and podcast produced by McMaster Medical Students featuring interesting topics of medicine that have come up in our studies, the stories of medicine and the people behind them. My name is Mike. And I'm Noam, and today we're here with Dr. Amanda Maroney, who is a practicing family physician in Smithville, Ontario. She's a McMaster alumni through and through as she's completed her undergraduate degree, medical school, and residency at McMaster. Upon completion of her family medicine residency, she began practicing at the Smithville Medical Center as a full-scope rural family physician by practicing in obstetrics, palliative care, and hospital-based medicine. A few years ago, the field of lifestyle medicine caught her attention. Since then, she has worked to complete her lifestyle medicine education in order to provide her patients with counseling in topics such as nutrition, exercise, and stress management. Currently, she continues to pave the way in the field by leading by example and educating both her patients and students on the importance of lifestyle interventions for long-term health. Please welcome Dr. Amanda Maroney. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're very excited. All right. So maybe we can start our interview off sure. and talk about what lifestyle medicine is about to you, Dr. Maroney. Sure. So um, the concept of lifestyle medicine, as defined by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, is a therapeutic use of evidence-based interventions to treat and prevent lifestyle-related diseases in a clinical setting. So it works by empowering individuals with the knowledge and the life skills to make behavior changes that address the root causes of disease. So, you know, in family medicine, we've been trained to think that preventative medicine means getting your pap smears and your mammograms and your, you know, fit tests and colonoscopies, having your cholesterol checked. And, you know, as doctors, we'll pat ourselves on the back thinking we're doing a great job. And these tests are important, but what we have to realize is that that is not preventative medicine. Mm. That is early disease identification, which is important but it doesn't actually address the root causes. So doing these tests really 
don't stop the disease from happening in the first place. It just detects it when it's already started. And of course, early detection is good, but it's not prevention. And we have to make a clear distinction between the two. You know, real prevention doesn't happen in my office. It doesn't happen in the hospital. The colonoscopy suite doesn't happen in the laboratories. Real prevention happens in patients' homes, day in, day out, when we as healthcare providers educate and empower those patients to make changes in their lifestyle habits that, that could cause disease. And undoing those habits that are bad, um, or I shouldn't say bad, but not as health promoting, you can actually prevent disease and reverse it even if it started. And there are studies to show this. The EPIC study uh, published in the Archives of Internal Medicine it was a massive study, an observational cohort study, 23,000 people over 15 years, and they looked at their adherence to four simple behaviors. Not smoking, exercising three and a half hours a week, eating a healthy diet, which they described specifically as you know heavy in fruits and vegetables, beans, whole grains, nuts, seeds, and limited amounts of meat, um, and maintaining a healthy body weight, which is a BMI at less than 30, which by the way is just not being obese, mm -hmm. okay? So those four simple behaviors, in adhering to those behaviors, 93% of diabetes, 81% of heart attacks, 50% of strokes, and 36% of all cancers were prevented. Wow. I mean, those numbers are mind-blowing, yeah. and there is not a drug on the market that can promise that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that caught my attention. So preventative medicine, as we seem to call it, seems to be even a little bit too late to prevent. That's right. It's kind of an oxymoron yeah. <laughs> when you think about it. Like, I'm not preventing anything. I'm just catching it early. So, right. you know, you, to, to stop disease, you have to look at the root causes. And that's where I think conventional medicine kind of has it wrong or a little bit backwards. I mean, not that medications aren't important, not that procedures aren't important. They are. They're life-saving, mm -hmm. but they're not stopping the diseases from starting. And we need to look at the behaviors that actually lead to disease and, and target those. The problem is we, we don't know those, yeah. those pieces of information. No, we don't, we're not trained as physicians to educate patients. At least I wasn't. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that in the future that will change. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so a few years into your family practice when you kind of noticed this gap in Western medicine and you decided to maybe um, add a new scope to your career, mm -hmm. can you talk to us a little bit more about what that transition was like and what really um, was like the spark that made you say, I'm going to take this on and make a big change in my practice? Sure. <clears throat> so really, if you speak to any of the, you know, the prominent plant-based physicians out there, you know, there's a lot in the States that I consider like the mecca of, of plant-based nutrition. Um, and even within myself, um, a lot of them have personal stories that actually spark it. And that for me was, was the case. You know, my dad uh, was diagnosed in 2005 with stage four prostate cancer. Oh, I'm um, sorry to hear about that. Yeah, that's okay. Um, he, um, he basically was given, you know, a death sentence by his oncologist. They told him he had about six months to a year to live. Even though they would offer hormonal treatment, surgery was not an option because it was metastatic to his bones. And, you know, my father very, you know, eloquently looked at them and he said, well, you're the doctor, but you're not in charge. He said, you know, frankly, he said, God's in charge and he's going to take me back whenever he wants to. But you do your job and I'll do what you tell me. But I need to do some work, too. 
because I know nothing about this prostate cancer stuff. You know, he's Italian. I know nothing about this <laughs> prostate cancer. So I'm going to go and and research. And he did that. He got so educated. And what he started to learn was that there was a lot of things that he was doing and eating that he he needed to get out of his system. He was basically feeding his cancer. And I remember when he said, for example, he stopped red meat right away because there is a distinct link between red meat and prostate cancer for men. And that one didn't shock me. But then he gave up dairy. And I was like, Dad, like, okay, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this now. But like, <laughs> I said, Dad, you need the, the dairy for your bones. You have bone mats. And he's like, nope, it's linked to prostate cancer. There's it's just it, there's growth hormones, there's estrogen in it. You can I can't be feeding my cancer. And he also unprocessed his diet completely. And he, I mean, he's he was a winemaker, and he stopped he stopped even you know having his glass of wine a night because mm-hmm. sugar and excess sugar they all feed cancers. And so he was my first glimpse of lifestyle medicine because he tip he he started going for daily walks, long walks. He started to meditate in prayer every morning. He slowed down his life. He started to travel more with uh, my mom. You know, he, he sold his business because he was always a very busy, busy man. Like he worked so hard. He was such a hard worker. And, you know, he lived 12 years beyond what they told him and lived well, wow. you know, and he did pass away uh, a few years ago. But at that point, he, he was he was at the space where he was ready to go. And, and but he 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 called his disease a blessing. And for me, he said, you know, I would have, I, Amanda, I would have died of heart disease. The heart disease ran strong in his family. And he said, I, I probably would have dropped dead a heart attack. At least now I've had the chance to to change things. And I feel better than ever. He almost felt better when he had cancer than when he didn't. And for me, that was like mind blowing because then I started reading and I started reading books and studies. And, and then I started to see that there's actually really solid evidence about this. And there were a few other people who came into my life who also had similar stories of reversing chronic disease, in particular cancer, and they pointed me to Forks Over Knives. So that was a documentary I recommend everybody watches. It's on Netflix. You can rent it on iTunes. Um, And it really struck me with the science. And then I delved and I went deeper. And once I knew, it's like you can't undo it. And there's (laughs) no way I could not start to implement it ethically in my practice. Like it's information that can make a huge difference. So I I stopped just writing a prescription for cholesterol. I started actually asking patients first, you know, have you ever thought about changing your diet? Well, what do you mean? And then I go into it. And if they're receptive, I keep going with them. And if they're like, no, thanks, I will take my pill. Then I respect that, right? It's always a patient's decision. So and that's really how I started to implement it one by one. And that takes time. These are conversations that don't happen in the 15 minutes that I'm typically allotted to see patients in. So I chronically ran behind, but I felt so strongly. And I saw when they made changes, like dramatic results that no pill had ever had ever demonstrated for me. And so it just kept reinforcing that. And then from there, I, I started to um, think about developing a program, which is what I ultimately did. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting how you had both like the emotional and the scientific backing into making you make that big decision. Sure. And that story is so incredible. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, no problem. And, and really for patients too, like it's really sad, but sometimes they need to be slapped with a diagnosis mm-hmm. to actually make changes. It's really hard. Um, 
I always say that wisdom is foresight, you know, is recognizing consequences before they've actually happened. And I'm trying to instill wisdom in my patients to say, like, listen, you don't have a disease now, um, but let's try to undo that risk. And sometimes they sit up and pay attention and sometimes they don't, but that's okay because once they do and they're ready, it's all about them, right? It has to be, they have to be ready to make changes. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Okay, so you've talked a little about how you've actually implemented lifestyle medicine mm-hmm. practices into your you know, daily practice as a family physician. Yeah. Um, so things like maybe instead of writing a cholesterol-lowering medication, you would have a conversation about lifestyle interventions. Are there any other strategies that you would use uh, in your practice to implement this? Yeah, sure. And just to, just to clarify, it's not like I'm against drugs. Like I am a conventional physician and there's a role for medications, absolutely. But I'll never write a prescription without saying to the patient, this is a Band-Aid. Of course. This is this is going to help you lower your cholesterol, but there is another way and you should still be doing this. And I'd be very specific about that with my patients because they need the information. Like we tend to make these quick statements like eat better, you know, exercise more mm-hmm. because we actually, a lot of physicians have no idea what to tell their patients. But when you get specific, be surprised what patients will do. Um, I treat lifestyle like a vital sign. So there's nothing that a patient can walk in with that I will not ask them about some aspect of their lifestyle. If they're coming in with depression, I'm going to talk to them. I'm not just going to, you know, jump to the pill. I'm going to ask them like, hey, what's going on? Peel back that layer a bit. Like, how's your work? How's your marriage? How, how are things with the kids? And um, because, again, it's about root causes. The, the medication can help people. Don't get me wrong. With serotonin levels, that's important. But if if you don't fix the cause of what's causing those serotonin levels to drop, then you're not doing them a service. So they have to go hand in hand. And I also feel very strongly about group um, learning. So this past year, starting in January, I launched my first group. I called it Welcome Home. And um, it's like Welcome Home, like a return to people's health. You know, I just feel like you're welcoming back health into your life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you often say Welcome Home, when somebody's been gone for some time. And a lot of these patients, they all have chronic disease, all different chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. And some of them don't even know what it feels like to have been well. So it's like saying, welcome home, you know, to health again. And it's a 12-week course, two and a half hours a week with me. And yeah, they sit there for two and a half hours (laughs) a week with me. I'm like, wow, you guys have nothing else to do. (laughs) But they are so motivated. And I teach them not just the science. I do delve a lot about the science in lifestyle changes to treat chronic disease, but also how to make changes. So I talk about their eating behaviors, the mindsets, the mindfulness behind eating behaviors and food addiction. I do meal prep with them. So I bring in a recipe and I show right in front of them, like this is how simple and quick you can do it and give them ideas. Because when I say plant-based, people think those little rinky-dink salads you get as a <laughs> side dish at McDonald's. I'm like, that's not it. And um, we we did a grocery store uh, grocery store tour just yesterday. Amazing. Wow. Which is so fun. I've <laughs> never done one. So like that was a big disclaimer to them. I'm like, I've never done this before. Right. And they were so incredible. Um, it was it was a great experience. They got to practice reading labels and I showed them all kinds of vegetables they had no idea existed. And uh, the next stage of our so the first part was a lot about nutrition, but remembering that um, disease comes not just from what we eat or don't eat. It also has to do with lifestyle factors which means, you know, stress management and slowing down and 
sleep hygiene and physical activity. So the second half of the course is is really delves into things like mindfulness meditation practices, some physical activity. We'll do a walk together and I'll show them some simple body weight exercises they can do for all different levels. Just moving your body, even just learning to move your body more, right? Um, And, you know, in only five weeks even, I have seen some incredible results. I've had a patient drop his his insulin, his longstanding insulin from 60 units to 40 units, now down to 35, still having some lows. So he's likely going to come off of his insulin. And just for him, it's actually within two weeks of going completely plant-based. Um, and the, the funny thing is, they all have different chronic diseases. Some have diabetes, mm-hmm. some have fibromyalgia. I have a patient, two with fibromyalgia. I have patients with... Um, heart disease and high cholesterol, but it's the same treatment. They get all the same information and all of them are coming back saying, I'm feeling better. And then surprising symptoms go away. Like my chronic congestion is gone and my uh, acne is clearing up and I never expected those things. My constipation is gone and all these things that they weren't there for, they were there because they're high cholesterol, but all these other nebulous symptoms are Mm. going away which like is so gratifying for me as a physician because you feel like you're actually taking care of the root causes. And, um, and, and literally at the, at the heart of every disease is inflammation. So that's why, you know, when you would tackle the inflammation through all the lifestyle changes, um, it really does affect, you know, at least the majority of chronic diseases. So, so gr- groups, um, they also have the support of each other. So it's really neat to see them coming together and motivating each other and, you know, trading recipes with each other. And and the ma- vast majority of them, like, they came in there crossing their arms and saying, like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> giving up my cream and my coffee. Right. I'm like, yeah. And I, I took the approach. I said, listen, you don't have to do anything I say. You're investing your time. That's a precious commodity. I'm going to try to make it worth your while, and I am not going to hold back on the information. I'm going to tell you scientific, evidence-based information, and you will take with it what you can. You will change what you want to change, and you will leave what you can leave, and that's all good. And even if you don't change a thing, at least consider yourself informed. And then you're, you're big boys and girls. You can make the decision. And it's so funny because after learning what it does, they were all of them were willing to try at least some degree of change and they're seeing benefit and it's really gratifying to see that. Yeah, yeah. that's almost like you mentioned, once you knew, you couldn't really unknow it anymore. So maybe that's the same for the patients as well. Yeah, I'd like mm. to think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are some really awesome ideas too, having group sessions and even yeah. going out to the grocery store. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, we want to oh. do a cookie. We're, <laughs> I got a little overzealous. That's kind of tend, <laughs> I tend to like overestimate how much time it takes to do stuff. Right. So <laughs> I, my original plan was to do like grocery store tour and then cooking class in two and a half hours. Like that's ridiculous. So <laughs> the grocery store tour took the two and a half hours. So I told them ahead of time, like, I think I overcalled this. Right. Um, I said, so we're, we're hoped to do a cooking class and our theme was Mexican. So they were all excited. So I'm like, I'm really sorry. They're like, no, 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 we'll just do it another session. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, That's so great. Right. Yeah. And so you've kind of mentioned that medications or things like surgery yeah. come into your practice yep. because, you know, sometimes diseases need a extra help besides lifestyle practices? Of course, yes. So how does that kind of come into the picture and how do you balance that with lifestyle interventions? Sure. So just to be clear, lifestyle medicine does not shun or reject conventional medicine. They they must work in synchrony. 
It simply invites the patient to take back some, if not all, control of their disease. You know, it puts the it puts the onus on them where it should be to actually get to those root causes. And so, but at the same time, if a patient walks into my office with chest pain and shortness of breath and symptoms of a heart attack, I am not going to sit him down in that moment and say, you know, you really should start eating some more kale. You know, <laughs> I'm going to give him nitro two aspirins to chew and call 911 to get him in an ambulance to the angiography suite and have a life-saving stent or bypass because that's the beauty of chronic of of conventional medicine we have that that ability to to acutely save a person's life but we also have to recognize that we can't treat chronic disease before those acute episodes happen with acute care medicine. So we're getting into that habit of prescribing a pill for cholesterol, a pill for diabetes, a pill for high blood pressure. And again, if a patient's not willing to make changes, they're absolutely necessary. But with those prescriptions must come education. We can't, because if you put all your, I've found in my practice, if I put all all of my emphasis on the medications, the patients will take the medications. Actually, they study this only 50% of the time they'll take the medications mm-hmm. the way you prescribe them. So that's a little discouraging. But what I put emphasis on as a physician, I find patients will also then think about and absorb and make changes for. And um, after that patient has that stent, then I'm going to bring him back in the office and I'm going to say, listen, this happened but there's a way that we can prevent this from happening again. Because if they keep doing the same things that got them there in the first place, it's pretty near likely they are going to have the same problem 5, 10, even 20 years down the road. So that's where I introduce, you know, the lifestyle uh, component. And it's it's really important that we we mesh the two, that there's not one or the other. There's, you know, they have to come together. And so I write lots of prescriptions. Of course I do, but they come with education. And that education is not just about the risks and benefits and side effects of the pill. That's important too. But it also comes with, you know, there are some other things that you can do to reduce the need for this or to be on the smallest dose possible. And patients will listen and they will actually make huge changes if you're, if they're saying the doctor said so, I should try it. Mm. At least it informs them. Wow, guys, I don't know about you, but it, it just gets better every time I listen to it. I think one thing I didn't discuss earlier is, I don't know if you guys know, I try to, I'm not like a, I'm not a vegan per se. I think that that's maybe something I want to work towards later in life. I've tried to like personally balance how much meat I eat and don't eat in, in, contact, in the context of other lifestyle modifications. But I think this is definitely one of the, a big motivator to kind of re-examine uh, how much plant-based diet and like kind of the stuff that I'm putting in my body. What do you guys think? No, I'm glad you said that. Um, so I, I personally grew up vegetarian and I've always kind of been vegetarian. I am still today, but it wasn't really something that I gave a lot of thought to or did intentionally. It was just something that I picked up as a result of growing up in a household that was vegetarian. Um, but kind of as more evidence has been building up on the subject of nutrition and I've taken a deeper dive uh, now that I'm in medical school, I think that it's important for me to kind of reshape my diet and add certain things to the diet that maybe vegetarian diets lacking, but also just seeing the evidence supporting the efficacy and kind of reducing this entire disease burden 
uh, related to eating meat is it's been it's been an interesting piece of information to integrate. Um, but I think as we're always moving forward and as science is always great in that way in that we discard, discard ideas that are no longer valid. Um, it's always important to continue to look for the newest evidence that makes um, the most compelling argument. And uh, yeah, just trying to stay on the cutting edge of nutrition science. So it's been exciting to be able to do that today, I think. I agree. I think diet is probably one of the biggest lifestyle decisions we probably make on a daily basis, what we choose to feed our bodies with. Um, and along with that, as you were mentioning, Grinder, is a lot of um, evidence that's required for people to kind of make decisions and for doctors to advise patients of how for recommendations for how they can make decisions. And so one of the things that Dr. Moroni mentioned in her interview was the EPIC study. So this is the European Perspective Investigation into Cancer and Nutrition study. It's one of the largest cohort studies in the world, and we linked it uh, in our episode description. So you can check it out and learn more about it. Absolutely. And I, I guess just aside from the evidence for a second, I thought that the compelling story that was shared was something that really kind of made it obvious for me why this sudden change in Dr. Moroni's practice was needed. And it was a really compelling argument, like I said. Um, I think it's important to highlight that it is obviously just an anecdote and having an N equals one sample size is only as powerful as N equals one, but just the emotion attached uh, to the story. And I could tell that Dr. Moni was really passionate about the subject. And I think a lot of it derived from her experience. So I just wanted to say thank you to her for sharing that experience with us and everyone else listening to the podcast. Yeah, for sure, Grinder. And she kind of went on to like reshape her practice from it uh one thing that stuck with me was her group learning that she did like this whole concept of her welcome home course like bringing people back into their health uh people with all sorts of chronic disease this sort of 12-week course that she champions and i think like uh, some of the stories the changes that people have made i think that was that was super fascinating and some of the things that she did like I don't know, like super outside the box, but super interesting and I think really helpful for patients. I think it also just goes to show how much creative freedom um, physicians have in order to shape their practice, right? Like you you think about medicine in, in a certain way and obviously it's marketed and, and packaged to us in a certain way in medical school, but ultimately it's up to you to decide kind of what your practice is going to look like one day and having that freedom is, I think, a huge uh, value and it's also a huge honor and it's also responsibility in a lot of ways. For sure, yeah, I think... Uh, and one thing we do want to try to have on the show is we talked a little bit about the the, the study. It's just like a little bit of a fact check and a little bit of a clarifying thing. So if you guys recall, she talked about going on a grocery store tour uh, with her patients. I thought that was really interesting. But disclaimer, this was pre-social isolation, social distancing. So no rules or laws were broken in the production of this episode, <laughs> nor was she doing anything incorrect. Uh, also, I think it's important to discuss some of the diseases. She she was pretty good speaking in lay terms, but she mentioned a disorder called fibromyalgia when she was talking about these chronic diseases in the context of like diabetes and heart disease. So I just wanted to share for maybe those who didn't know it, and I actually had to Google it myself, was fibromyalgia is just a, just a disorder characterized by widespread musculoskeletal pain accompanied by fatigue, sleep, memory, and mood issues. Uh, and it's been apparently a very notoriously difficult disease to manage and can be quite debilitating to those that have it. I think another interesting thing that I took away from this interview, um, especially, is that lifestyle interventions and all of these changes, they're big buzzwords, as we talked about at the beginning, um, things that might be at the top of the list for what we want in terms of treatment interventions. But it's also vague, at least my understanding of it in medical school. 
But what Dr. Moroni really tried to emphasize um, in her interview is that really lifestyle medicine is not about rejecting or shunning traditional medicine, but about incorporating both of these aspects into a patient's life. So for example, in a patient with diabetes, considering lifestyle modifications that are, and I think smart setting smart goals is also important. And I know we've talked about this in medical school and I still remember talking about it in high school. Um, so goals that are like specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Um, and these are things that are, I think, really important for to be able to motivate patients and even help with things like um, traditional medicine. So things like taking your medication, which might be very onerous or might be basically Dr. Moroni has established that even lifestyle interventions has been able to help patients with medication compliance, which I found really interesting. Totally. And I, and I think another point to hit on, and maybe it wasn't mentioned as much in this interview, um, but is definitely something to note, is that all these interventions that we're talking about are totally tailored towards each patient. You're really respecting the autonomy of the patient and you're taking into consideration different things like the cultural history of this person and kind of what palate it, it makes the most sense for their diet and working around with what they're already used to to create the optimal diet for that specific person. Um, and I think that's great. And it's something that we need to do more of in medicine. So it, it's definitely been an amazing episode. And I hope you guys learned a whole bunch. And I'm sure there's takeaways that we didn't mention that stuck with you. So we'd love to hear about them um, through our social media accounts. Uh, if you guys want to start a discussion, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All three locations you can find us at at the ID podcast um, and make sure to interact with us. We'll be posting some more content. And like we said, the Epic study will also be linked on our social media. So if you're curious to learn more, you can find that there. Um, but finally, before we end today's episode, I'd just like to make a quick thank you to everyone involved in the production of this episode, uh, starting with Noam Raider. She was the one who interviewed with Mike. So thank you so much, Noam, for also organizing the interview. Our, our amazing production and research team, consisting of Daniel Borens and Isabella for music, as well as Priscilla, who's our research director. Um, you can find us on our social media, as I mentioned, one more time, at The ID Podcast. Um, and we're looking forward to part two, which is going to be airing relatively soon. So keep an eye out for the second part of the interview, where we continue to learn more about lifestyle medicine. So thanks for tuning in to our first episode of ID Podcast, where we explore the stories of medicine and the people behind them.